I want to say as we begin this morning how excited me and my family are to be here for this week. Uh, we were looking forward to this meeting before last year, and then the whole rest of this last year, we've been looking forward to, uh, to this year and being able to be with you this week. I know that this past year has been a challenge for all of us. Uh, in some way or another, and as churches and as congregations, there have been uh, less opportunities as far as meetings and different things uh, that we've had over this past year. So it is certainly a blessing and a great opportunity to be here this morning and through this week. And so I appreciate each of you being here. I appreciate the invite uh, for my family to be here and to be able to present um, some studies from God's Word with you this week. And it's our prayer, as always, that the things that we study together would be both in accordance with the Scripture and the will of God, but also uplifting and edifying to each and every person that's in the audience. And so this morning, as you can see on the screen, we're going to talk about the Pearl of Great Price. Now, if you've been a member of the church for, for years and knew Brother Truman Teal, you knew that he had a, a sermon on the Pearl of Great Price, a great sermon. I am not Truman Teal. I'm not trying to be Truman Teal. I promise you'll recognize I'm not Truman Teal uh, this morning as we go throughout this study. But, but this parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13 is a powerful little parable. And at home, we were walking through the parables of Christ, and this is the one that I was given. And so I... Uh, created a, a presentation on it and really began studying and looking at it. And there is a lot of power packed into this small parable. And so there's a lot of things that I think that we can take from this. So I want to look at Matthew chapter 13 this morning with you. Jesus is, is teaching here and he says in verses 45 and 46, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now the scene here as we kind of think about Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is teaching at what's called the Sea of Tiberias. And he has a boat pulled up against sort of the shore area and he's standing on that boat and there's a multitude of people that have gathered around on the shore to hear Jesus teaching. And as we go through Matthew 13, Jesus tells a series of several parables. He talks about the parable of the sower and illustrates the different hearts that hear the word of God and how they respond to that. And then he tells the story or the parable of the tares, which represents or tells or teaches us about the judgment that is to come for all of us and the two eternal destinations that exist. And then he talks about the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. And then he gets to two little small parables here, the parable of the hidden treasure, which he tells right before this one, and then the parable of the pearl of great price. And as he is teaching his disciples and these, this, this multitude that's before him, these parables and these teachings about the kingdom and spiritual things that they need to be thinking about, I want to dive in and look at this, this short parable here in verses 45 and 46, where he talks about this man that is seeking and looking for pearls. He is and a seller of pearls. And back in the first century, pearls were considered very, very valuable. In fact, Pliny the Elder, who was a Roman historian, said the first place in the topmost rank among all things of price is held by pearls. Their whole value lies in their brilliance, size, roundness, smoothness, and weight. Now we recognize even today that pearls hold value and there's pearl necklaces and things that are very nice, but pearls today don't hold the same level of value that they did in the first century. And part of the reason for that is the dangerous way in which pearls were acquired back then. You see, what they would actually do is they would go out on a boat to where they knew that there would be uh, oysters kind of on the, on the sea floor, and they would drop divers down that would hold their breath, 
and they would hold onto a rock or a stone, something heavy, and they'd, in one hand they'd have a basket in the other, and they'd jump off that boat, and that stone would cause them to sink very quickly to the ocean floor, sometimes up to 100 feet. And when they got there, they'd drop the stone, they'd put as many of the oysters, they'd collect as many as they could, they'd into that basket, and then they'd swim as fast as they could up to the surface. And sometimes they'd be under for three or four minutes holding their breath. And then whoever was on the boat would pull that rope up and they'd have all those oysters in the basket. They'd start going through them and they'd look for those pearls. And so it's a very, very dangerous profession. Many people died pearl diving. And so that's one of the reasons why these pearls were considered so valuable because they were so rare. And these um, pearl divers in the Persian Gulf region where they would acquire those pearls, they would then go and give them to traders and merchant men and they would take them throughout the Roman Empire and sell them to the rich and the wealthy. And so I just want us to recognize that as these, these multitudes and these disciples are hearing Jesus teach this parable about pearls, in their mind already, before he even says the wor words of great price, they're already considering something of immense value. They already have in their minds something that is more valuable than gold, more valuable than any other gemstone or anything else that they could have acquired. They've already given pearls that topmost value. And then Jesus ups the ante even more and he says, this particular merchant man, he found a pearl of great price. A pearl that was so much more valuable than even all of the other very valuable pearls. So much so that this merchant man was willing to go and to sell everything else that he had, including all of the other pearls that he had as a trader of pearls, in order to acquire this one spectacularly valuable pearl. I just want us to recognize this morning that that merchant man was looking. He was seeking for those goodly pearls. He was searching for those things that would make him rich and wealthy in life. And the spiritual application for us is that we always as humans and throughout human history have been searching for something, right? Something to bring us satisfaction, something to bring us joy and happiness in our life. We have been seeking and we should be seeking today for those valuable things that are very, very important in our life. But there is one thing that is particularly more valuable and this merchant man recognized the value of that great pearl. And then he was willing to sell everything in order to obtain it. What is Jesus comparing this pearl of great price to? He's comparing it to the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to know this morning that what Jesus was teaching here is that the kingdom of heaven is like this pearl of great price. It is of such immense and immeasurable value that we, like the merchant man in this story, should be seeking and looking for those things that are valuable. And when we find the kingdom of heaven, when we find salvation through Christ, when we find the church, that that should be of such great value to us that we're willing to put everything else in our life second. That we are willing to sell all that we have in order to obtain that pearl of great price. So I'm going to ask you this morning, what is the most important thing in your life? Now I ask that question and one of the first answers that generally comes up is family. My family is the most important thing to me. And I'm going to tell you this morning, I love my family. My family is, is amazing. The, the, my favorite people in the whole wide world are sitting on that pew right over there. Sorry, Dave and Rhonda. Not y'all, but right behind y'all. No offense to the rest of you. I love you. But my family, they're the most important people to me in this, in this world. Love them. Have a lot of great times with them and, and love spending time with them and walking through life with them. But is family really the most important thing? Is it what we're living for? Is it what we're doing everything that we do in this life for? 
You know, there are some times when a person hears the gospel of Christ and they know that they need to respond to that and become a Christian, but in order to do that, it would require them to lose a relationship with their family. There are some folks whose families are a part of a different religion, part of a different belief system, sometimes where they're very anti-Christianity. And there becomes a very real choice for some people between Christ and family. Now, I've never had to deal with that in my life, and I'm thankful for that. But maybe some of you have. Maybe it's caused friction with your family. Maybe you have family members that don't understand the life of faith you're trying to live. And maybe it has affected those relationships, your decision to become a Christian. It's difficult. And so we have to ask ourselves this question, is our family the most important thing? Because if it is, we'll sacrifice Christ for our family. We'll sacrifice anything for them. But is our family really number one? Or should Christ, the kingdom of heaven, the church, come before it? You know, in other situations, we find ourselves maybe making every baseball game, making every band practice, making every activity that our kids have or that our family is involved with because life is about family, right? Those things are great and they're good and there's nothing wrong with making your kids baseball game. But is that really the most important things? These same people sometimes that prioritize that aren't at church. And they miss the Bible studies. And they miss the fellowship opportunities. And when you begin to examine your life and look at where do I spend my time? What do I prioritize? Am I making all the family functions but missing the church ones? Or am I choosing to make church the kingdom number one in my life? Some people go to church in a particular place just because it keeps their parents happy. Or maybe they go to a congregation that they know is not teaching truth, but it's where mom and dad has always gone, and it's where grandpa and grandma has always gone. And Should we really be making decisions based on family being number one? Or is there something more important? I want to encourage you this morning to consider whether or not you're willing to put the kingdom of heaven before even your family. Because if what Jesus was teaching is true, then the kingdom of heaven and not your family is really that pearl of great price. We ask that question, what's the most important thing in your life? Sometimes people will say job. It's my job. It's my career. My career is where I gain satisfaction. It's where I have respect. It's, it's where I enjoy uh, what I do every day. And it's how I provide a living for my family and, and to walk through life. And so my job is the number one thing in my life. But you know, there are situations that come up where we have to make decisions sometimes between jobs and church, don't we? You might have an opportunity to get a promotion, but it requires you moving somewhere where there's not a congregation of the Lord's church anywhere near. How do you make those decisions? How do you consider that? If your job really is number one, and if you're okay with that being your pearl of great price, then you'll go. You'll go when the promotion is, is there. You'll go wherever they want you to go because that's number one. But if the church is number one, then don't we have to start thinking about that a little bit differently and considering the spiritual applications or the spiritual implications of making a move like that? Maybe you have a boss or a supervisor who is corrupt. And maybe they've asked you to do something dishonest at work. They've asked you to fudge some numbers. They've asked you to do something that you know is immoral and that's not right. How much do you love your job? Is your job really number one? If your job is number one, then you'll be willing to sacrifice even your own morality or your own character in order to keep it. But is that really how we should be making decisions? And I would encourage you when it comes to your job and your career, no matter how much you love what you do, that you make sure that that is not taking the place of the kingdom of heaven in your life because your job is not the pearl of great price. The kingdom of heaven is. We ask that question and sometimes people answer health. My health is the most important thing. Health is very, very important. We all want to be healthy. 
We want to live as long a lives as we can. We want to feel good while we're living life. All of those are natural. They're a part of our life. But you and I both know that health issues are a part of our existence sometimes. And there are some of you here this morning that are dealing with very serious health issues and health conditions. If health, though, is number one, what this causes is that when we have these crises of health or these very bad diagnoses, it can cause us to become so sorrowful and to fall into such a deep depression that we have no hope, that we lose our faith. And I want to encourage you when it comes to your health, prioritize health, it's good, but don't put it above your faith, don't put it above the kingdom of heaven. Because as a Christian, we recognize that there's something more beyond our health in this life, right? We recognize that there's an eternity that's waiting for us. We recognize that there's a more important life in existence on the other side. And that's what we're living for. And so as Christians, if we recognize that the kingdom of heaven is the pearl of great price, then we'll be able to face these health issues as hard as they are. With a faith and a trust in the Lord to get us through. And ultimately to bring us into the eternal life that he's promised to us. What's your pearl? Is it your health? Or are you willing to make it the kingdom of heaven? We talk about this question, what's the most important thing in your life? And some people answer financial security. Right? I've got to make sure that my family's provided for, taken care of. I've got to accumulate wealth and possessions. That's what life's about, making sure that we're financially taken care of. I want you to know there's nothing wrong with planning and preparing and making sure that you're financially prepared for what's coming. Those are even biblical concepts. Nothing wrong with that at all. But is life about the accumulation of wealth? Is life about financial security? You know, there have been many people that have, have spent their life not prioritizing church, not prioritizing their faith, and instead prioritizing work, work, work in order to get more and more wealth. And they build that pile of money up and then they pass from this life before they ever get a chance to even use it. Nothing wrong with preparing. Nothing wrong with planning. But that's not what we should be living for. Because at the end of our story, we don't need to be in that situation and then regret the focus and the priority of our life. You see, at whatever point we pass from this life, if we've been living for the real pearl of great price and we've really been prioritizing the church and our salvation, then we'll be able to transition into eternity with confidence. Knowing that all of that earthly wealth, it's not going to do us any good there anyway. And so plan, prepare, but this should not be your pearl. What's your pearl of great price this morning? Are you willing to put the kingdom first? Even if you were to lose everything that you had today. We ask this question and some people answer with their particular social cause or their, their pet issue. Now I want us to consider this for a moment. There are opinions that all of us have about a lot of things. There are different causes that all of us believe in that we, uh, you know, that we prefer decisions be made a certain way. There are issues that all of us take as important. But at the end of the story, if it's not biblical, if it's not spiritual, if it's not of the kingdom of heaven, then these are opinions. They are preferences. And yet sometimes when you visit with people, you feel like the only thing a person ever talks about or cares about is one of these opinion issues. You ever been in a situation like that? Or you see the social media posts that somebody always constantly posts about and it's always about their particular pet issue or cause. What is the first thing that people think about when they hear your name? Do they think about that particular pet cause 
it's important to you? Do they think about your feeling on vaccinations or homeschooling versus public schooling or masks or no masks or whatever the issue may be? Is that the first thing that they think about when they hear your name? If so, then you may be misrepresenting what should be the most important thing to you. And you may need to seriously consider backing off of constantly talking about these opinion issues and instead talk about what's really important. Talk about your faith. Talk about the gospel. Talk about Christ and spiritual things. Because I want the first thing that somebody thinks about me to be that I'm a churchgoer, that I'm a Christian, that I'm a man of faith. That's what I want them to think about when they hear my name. And I think all of us as Christians should want that, that that would be our identifier, not the particular pet issue that we have. So what is most important to you? What defines you? We ask this question sometimes for people, it may be politics. Is everything Republican or Democrat to you? Do you see everything through the lens of red or blue? Because if that's true, then I think you're looking at life wrong. I think instead of red or blue, we need to be looking at life through the lens of Scripture. Is it scriptural or is it unscriptural? Is it biblical or non-biblical? Is it spiritual or not? What would Jesus do? And that spiritual way of thinking and, and focusing in life will help us to make decisions that are spiritual and that are wise. At the end of this story, what's going to matter in eternity is not whether we sided with the Republicans or Democrats, not whether we were a Trump fan or a Biden fan. What's going to matter in eternity is whether or not we were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and lived for him. And so politics should not be our pearl. Politics should not be the most important thing to us. What's your pearl of great price this morning? For some people, it's entertainment and it's pleasure. It's living life to the fullest here. It's that YOLO mentality, right? You only live once, so we're going to live it up and we're going to do every unwise thing that comes across our brain to do because we only live once. And so we're just going to get the most out of life. You know, that type of perspective, that type of life focus is destructive. And it's not only destructive in eternity, which of course is the number one thing that we should consider and think about, but it's also destructive here in this life. It's destructive to relationships. It's destructive to our health. It's destructive to all of the good things that we would want our life to be when we live for entertainment and pleasure. Now there's a lot of things in this life that can bring us happiness and joy and pleasure and all of that. And not all of those things, of course, are sinful or bad. There's a lot of really good moral things that are very pleasurable, that are very good. But that is not what our life should be about is obtaining physical pleasure. Because if that is what we are living for, it gets way too easy to start pushing the line and to start delving into things that may be pleasurable but are not spiritual and are not moral. And it gets real easy when we're thinking of flesh and gratifying the flesh and gratifying what our body wants to begin making decisions that are morally and spiritually wrong and destructive. But if that's our pearl then we'll be willing to sacrifice the church. We'll be willing to sacrifice all those other things to get our worldly pleasure. We ask this question sometimes, what's the most important thing in your life? And sometimes it's education. Nothing wrong with education. I think education can properly used can be a great thing. But life should not be about education. And yet some people respect the PhD after somebody's name more than they do the writing of the apostles. The writings of the, of, of the biblical authors. And they'll put those things as a priority. Or you'll, you'll see it and you'll hear it in the way that they talk about their children. 
That they're so very proud about the Ivy League education that their child has. Now that child may not have darkened the door of a church in five years, but they're very, very proud of the Ivy League education that their child has. There's nothing wrong with a good education. But is that the most important thing? Is that what we're living for? Do we have to send our kid to that school? Do they have to go to that one? I mean, it's 900 miles away from any church or family or anybody that will hold them accountable to anything, but they have to go there? Or is there a way that we can do that that still keeps the spiritual above the physical and above the education? I think if we're looking for that pearl of great price in our life, we have to recognize that it's not education. It's not entertainment or pleasure. It's not politics. It's not our pet issues or social causes. It's not financial security. It's not our health. It's not our job. And no, it's not even our family. The pearl of great price is not any of those things. It is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven to us today, the physical representation of that is the church. If you are a Christian today, if you are a part of the Lord's church today, you are a part of that kingdom of heaven. And so all the things that the church is involved in, the mission of the church in evangelizing the community, in impacting the lives of others for Christ, in raising good, godly families, all of those things that are a part of being a part of the church should be important to you. They should be number one to you. They should be your priority if the church and the kingdom of heaven really is the pearl of great price. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 16 and 24, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He said in Matthew 6, 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. In Matthew 19, 21 and 22, Jesus was approached by the rich young ruler, who, remember, asked Jesus, What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus basically answered, Keep the law. And he said, I've kept the law from my youth up. What else do I need to do? And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And in Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now as we read all of these verses, what is the theme that we can take from these? Is that all of us has to make a choice. All of us have to decide what is the most important thing. Am I going to live for me or am I going to deny myself and live for Christ? Am I going to try to serve two masters and be a Christian while still pursuing money or the the things of this life, the pleasure and the entertainment and all those things? Am I going to try to serve two masters because Jesus said we can't. We can only serve one. Am I going to be like the rich young ruler who knows what's the right thing to do but is too attached to the things of this life to really go all in for Christ? Or am I going to do what Jesus has encouraged us to do here in verse 33? To make the kingdom of heaven the number one thing in our life. To seek it first and recognize that God will provide for us in all of those other areas of life. And most importantly, in eternity. Which is where all of us want to head. So for the next few minutes this morning, I want to discuss with you a few reasons why I believe the kingdom of heaven really is the pearl of great price. And it all begins and ends here. And I want all of us to recognize this morning, if you are a Christian person, if you've been baptized into Christ today, then you have received salvation from God. And what an amazing, magnificent blessing that that is. Nothing can compare to eternity. Eternal life cannot be measured. And yet for years, throughout human history, philosophers have asked the question, why are we here? What is our purpose for existence? And I'll tell you why we're here. 
We're here to glorify God in everything that we do. To love others as God has first loved us. We're here to share the message of salvation to others so that they can enjoy the same benefits of being a part of the church that you and I do. Ultimately, we're here to live faithfully in this life until the end, transitioning into an eternity in heaven with God and Christ. And if we will keep that as the goal, if we will remember that that's what life is about, it's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about what I want or what you want. It's about what the Lord wants. And if we'll keep that as our number one and remember the immense blessing that our salvation is, then it will help us to walk through life in a way that makes our life here definitively better. And I want you to know that the life of a Christian is a great life. One of the things that makes it a great life is the moral standard that God has given to us. Now, at first blush, people hear moral standard and they think, well, isn't a moral standard just a list of restrictions of things we can't do? Isn't it just God's list of ways that he's going to, you know, take the fun out of our life? Because he's given us a standard we have to live by, things we have to say no to. You know, in reality, when we start thinking about the moral standard of the scripture and how God has designed our lives to be lived, we recognize that really when we follow that moral standard, our lives are better. We're healthier, we're more successful, and we live essentially in all facets of consideration, a better life. And I want to tell you how. And I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel here this morning. I'm not saying you give enough to the church and all of a sudden your bank account's going to be overwhelmed with dollars coming from the Lord, right? That's not what I'm teaching, not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is when you live the life of a Christian and you really apply the moral standard of the Bible, your life will definitively be better. And I want to share with you a few ways that that is true. According to the World Health Organization, there are more than 30 sexually transmitted diseases, including bacteria, viruses, and parasites. One of those, HIV, has infected over 75 million people, and over 32 million people have died as a result of this horrendous disease. Now, I want us to think about this for just a second, and we think about how some of these things came to be in existence in the first place. And we consider that many of these sexually transmitted diseases are a result of deviating from the design, the moral standard that God has delivered to us as Christians. Is that not true? Many of these problems and diseases and things that we face today are a result of people choosing to go against the will of God when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to family, when it comes to that moral standard. Though there are other ways to contract HIV now that doesn't necessarily include that, the majority of these cases contracted the disease because they weren't following the moral standard of the scripture. And yet 32 million people have died as a result of these decisions. And I just want to use this for us to recognize this morning that there are decisions that we can make when we prioritize self over God that will literally cause us disease and problems and early death because we veered from the standard. Now that's certainly not the case, of course, with all disease and with all suffering. And that's not the point I'm trying to make. But there are some decisions that when we choose to live selfishly and sinfully against the standard of God, it will literally, physically, cause us problems and pain and death. And without deviating from the moral standard, there would be 32 million people potentially still alive today. 75 million people that would not be suffering in the way that they are because of the result of deviating from the standard. According to the Guttmacher Institute, over 61 million abortions have taken place in the United States since 1973. I believe abortion is one of the greatest tragedies of American society. 
61 million people have been killed because of choice. Because of a de devaluation of life. And I just want you to consider for a moment that if you take the biblical scriptural approach to life and valuing life even from the womb, that there would be 61 million more people today than there are. Now we can't control the world. We can't control society. We can't control the government and the decisions that are made. But what we can control is ourselves. We can control the decisions that we make. We can control how we teach our family and how our family makes those decisions. And we can teach others that we have our sphere of influence with. Those friends and family members and neighbors and acquaintances. We can try to be a good influence on them to share the good news of the gospel and the moral standard of the scripture that makes life better. We can control us. And one at a time, maybe we can make a small difference in this world. The biblical standard of morality would effectively eliminate violence, domestic abuse, child abuse, sexual abuse, pornography, racism, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, and most if not all free will based societal problems. And I want you to consider that seriously for a moment. If all of us across the world were to implement the moral standard of the scriptures and live by that every day, think about the number of problems in our society that would vanish. Think about the number of issues and suffering that people face today that would suddenly be gone because people are focused on Christ and living lives of love and faith and sharing with one another and caring for one another. And all of that selfishness that causes all of these terrible sins and all of these problems in people's lives would suddenly disappear. You know why the kingdom of heaven is the pearl of great price? It starts and ends with salvation. But part of the reason is that moral standard that God has given to us. You know what he has really given us? He has given us the guidebook to a great life. He has given us the greatest life hack that there is. To know how to really live that fulfilling, satisfying healthier, more successful, and better existence if we just follow it, if we just apply it, and just do it. So I want to encourage you this morning not to see the moral standard of the Bible as a list of restrictions, as something that God has implemented to take the fun of your life away, but see the moral standard of the scripture for what it is, the guide to a better and more satisfying life. I want you to know that the kingdom is the pearl of great price because of the family structure that God has outlined in scripture. You know, this family structure has been under attack in our society for some time. But the structure as God has designed it in the scripture is that one man and one woman would come together in marriage. And often as a result of that marriage, children would become a part of that family. The father is to lead the home and love his wife. The wife is to respect and submit to her husband. Parents are to parent well together, seeking to raise godly, mature adults who love God and their fellow man. And yet this design that from the time in which God implemented it back in the Garden of Eden all the way through to us, now this design that has led to so much love and success in families has been under attack in our society. The U.S. divorce rate is at about 50%. The top reasons for divorce today include infidelity, money, communication, fighting, and abuse. Many times a combination of some of those five factors. But I want us to consider this morning that family structure that we've outlined that God has designed in scripture, that one man, one woman together in marriage with children, everyone fulfilling their roles the way God has designed them to. Consider the amazing family that that creates when everyone is committed to being godly. 
If husbands and wives are committed to being godly and fulfilling their family roles, there won't be infidelity in marriage. We won't have money problems that are too big that we can't get through them. When husbands and wives are focused on God first and working together through those problems. We won't have communication issues because husbands and wives will value each other and will talk and communicate to one another and will respect the opinions of the other. And we'll work through those communication issues. There wouldn't be as much fighting or arguing. And there wouldn't be abuse in homes if husbands and wives were committed to being the husbands and wives that God has called them to be. You want to know why the kingdom of heaven is really the pearl of great price? Why it really is and should be the number one thing in your life? Because when you follow it, not only do you achieve salvation, not only do you follow that moral standard that gives you a better existence, but you will create a family dynamic that maybe today you can't imagine. But a family dynamic where everyone in the family, though they are not perfect and we will all make mistakes and all of us make mistakes, where everyone is committed to Christ first. And when a husband is committed to Christ first, he will value his wife. And will seek to fulfill his obligation to her. When a wife is committed to Christ first, she will value her husband and be committed to fulfilling her obligation to him. And when children are raised to be committed to Christ, they will honor and value and respect their parents and other adults. And it will create a family situation that is so much better than many of the situations we may find ourselves in and that many folks find themselves in today. And there are serious consequences to husbands and wives when marriages break apart. It can leave long-lasting scars that are hard to heal from. But not only does it create scars and issues long-lasting for husbands and wives, but also for the kids as a part of that marriage. And when marriages break up because of, of selfishness, because of these reasons, because somebody has decided to prioritize themselves before Christ and their spouse, we now have kids in a home that are confused. They're seeing more than one standard taught in the home. We have many kids that end up in single parent homes. They're now being raised by one parent, maybe getting to visit or, or go stay with the other parent occasionally, but they're seeing one parent maybe go to church and prioritize that. They're seeing another parent go fishing or anything else on Sunday and not prioritize faith. And what do you think that those kids are going to grow up? How do you think that they're going to grow up? They're going to grow up confused. They're going to grow up seeing two very clear, distinct paths. And it's going to become much more difficult for them in transitioning into adulthood to know what the right decision is when they don't have a mom and a dad that are focused together in raising them. Now, the reality is we recognize that these issues are a part of life. And if you're here today and that's the situation that you find yourself in with your children... We may not be able to fix the past or change the past. Sometimes one spouse makes a selfish decision and decides to leave. There's nothing we can do about that. But what we have to do, whatever the situation is, is seek to be committed to Christ and teach our children that. And there have been some single parents in the church that have raised good, godly, strong children because they took the onus upon themselves to say, no matter what my spouse has done, I'm going to still be the person that God has called me to be. And I'm going to raise my kids the way they need to be raised. And God bless you for doing that. God bless them for doing that. But even those folks will tell you it is not easy when they don't have a partner with them seeking the same things. I want to look at some of the impacts I don't know if you'll be able to read that or not, but some of the, the long-term impacts of divorce on children. I'm going to turn around so I can read it. Children from divorced families are two times more likely to drop out of high school. 25% of adolescents who have experienced divorce become disengaged from their families. 
Children who have experienced a divorce frequently have lower academic achievement. Children from divorced families are more likely to have academic, behavioral, and psychological problems. Some of the short-term effects of divorce on children are things like anger, sadness, depression, as you can imagine, opposition, impulsivity, aggression, non-compliance, perceived parental loss, interpersonal conflicts, economic hardship, life stress, less parental supervision. All of those things are common sense when we recognize and we see these situations where marriages break apart. But some of the long-term effects are a persistence of anger at the parent who had initiated the divorce. Intensity of longing for the absent or erratically visiting parent. And the persistence of a youngster's wish to reconstitute the pre-divorce family. When marriages break apart and the family structure dissolves, it not only impacts the husband and wife who have chosen that or who are a part of that. It impacts long-term the children in that marriage. And I just want us to recognize this morning that there is a reason that God designed the family the way that he did. And when we will follow that and we will build our families upon those principles, it will be better, not only in our marriage, but for our children. And they will grow up having a clear path, recognizing the importance of Christ and the church and spirituality. And we will have a much simpler time when husbands and wives are committed to being the parents that they need to be. I want to encourage you this morning. Build your family structure according to the word of God. And when you do, you will see the positive changes that happen from that. Why is the kingdom of heaven the pearl of great price? Not only does it start and end with salvation and the blessing of eternal life. Not only does it create a better life through following the guidebook of the moral standard that God has given us. Not only will it create stronger and better families as a result of designing our families according to that structure. But we will also gain access to a community. A community of believers that equals friendship, love, and support that all of us need at some layer or another. Sorry, let me get to that. I love this chart. This is from Gallup. And again, I'm not sure how well you can read that, but I'll explain what's going on. The green line that you see shows the number of positive emotions people have each day, depending on how much church they attend. The blue line shows us the negative emotions each day people have based on how often they go to church. This organization is not necessarily interested in promoting Christian principles. And that's what I find so interesting about this. Gallup doesn't necessarily care about promoting Christ. But they're just sharing real life statistics about things. And what they have found is that when people go to church, you can see there on the bottom, never, seldom, about once a month, almost every week, or at least once a week. You know what happens? psychologically, mentally, you know what the effect of coming to church and being a part of a community and worshiping God together and all those things that we do, you know what it does to our psyche? Our positive emotions go up. Our negative emotions go down. We're happier. We're more joy-filled. We have a family that cares about us. We have people that show us love and care. And it has a very real mental impact in our life. This is the real effect of worshiping together and spending time with our spiritual community. I believe that there's no better community than church family. I believe that being a part of the church and gaining access to brothers and sisters in Christ such as yourselves is one of the most powerful things that we have in our life. And I want to tell you one reason for that and it's because of an experience that I went through in my life. Several years ago, me and my family, we lost my mom in a car accident. 
And in one of the most difficult times of my life, Leah and I were also in transition. We were moving at the time. And we were four days away from moving from Harlingen to Houston. And we had an apartment and all of our stuff and we had started packing all of that up, but we we're about a quarter of the way through. We've got a home that 75% of our stuff is still just out there. Needs to be packed up and loaded up. We were supposed to pick up a truck three days later and then load everything and, and head to Houston. I got the call. We jumped in a car and we headed to Houston. And I didn't care about the stuff in that moment. But in the back of my mind, as we're walking through those next few days and we're, we're planning for funeral and we're going through all of that, in the back of my mind, I know everything that we own is down there. And it's supposed to be gone. Our lease is up. I don't know what I'm going to do. The North 7th Street congregation there in Harlingen, they took it upon themselves to go over to our apartment to pack up the rest of all of our stuff. To go pick up a truck, void my payment on the truck, paid for it. Loaded all of our stuff from our apartment into that truck. Got our second car. They cleaned the apartment so that we could get our deposit back. And then they brought all of those things up to Houston for us. And they got there and they handed me the keys. And they said, you don't have to worry about it. You've got enough to worry about. I want to tell you, when I say that there's no community better than church family, I mean it. And I've said this many times over the past several years, but I don't know how somebody goes through that without the church family. Without having that support and that love. When you make the kingdom of heaven the pearl of great price, when you commit to it wholly, when you make your life about serving God and Christ, you not only have salvation, the greatest blessing. You not only have a better life because of the moral standard, the guidebook God has given you. You will not only have a stronger and better family because of the structure that God has designed, but you will have access to a group of people that love you and care about you. And no matter what your physical family situation, they will be a family for you. And what a blessing that is. Finally, as we close this morning, I want you to know that the kingdom of heaven is the pearl of great price because ultimately it gives us a spiritual view on life. It reminds us that though we may have lost loved ones that we care about, if they and us are faithful members of the church, then we'll get to see each other again. It reminds us that though we may have health issues in this life that are distressing, that are painful, that are stressful, that ultimately we'll have a home in heaven where there's no more pain and there's no more suffering. It reminds us that nothing that we go through in this life will compare to the greatness and the glory that will exist in heaven. And that spiritual view of life can give you contentment. It can give you peace. It can give you joy as you walk through this life. Brothers and sisters, if you're here this morning and you have not become a member of the church, if you have not become a member of the kingdom of heaven, if you have not grasped hold of this pearl of great price, I want to encourage you to do that today. Don't wait. The blessings are immense. And we could stay here for another several hours listing the blessings that come with being a part of the church. Don't wait. If you're here and you are a part of that kingdom, but maybe you've not been prioritizing it, maybe you've made something else your pearl, Maybe it's been your family or your job or your health or your pet issue or politics or pleasure or education or something else. 
Decide today to grasp hold of the real pearl of great price. All of those other things may be good. There may be good things in life that you can hold on to, but nothing is as good as the eternal life given through the kingdom of heaven. If we can assist you in some way this morning, we would ask that you come sit on our front pew as we sing the invitation song.